and wisdom. Now, my usual style, I will do a survey. How many of you would rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 5? 1 to 5, huh? For Sadda, faith. How many of you would rate yourself 5? Five means sorry, sorry, sorry. Five means five. Five means yeah, can die for sangha, you know, can die for dhamma. Matter in the making, huh? One, one means yesterday I just go for refuge, lah. Then I stumble over the Pali words or the Chinese words. I prefer in English, but what to do? Singapore doesn't have English. Go for refuge. Okay, who is one? Okay, who's two? Who's three? Four? Five? The rest of you in the wrong class. Never heard of faith before, huh? That was the easy one, because the next one is on wisdom. The next one is on wisdom. You want me to do the subtle test again and all, so that at least you, you endeavour to answer one question tonight. Get subtle again, huh? Who's one? You, you, you need a negative. Huh? You are here what to burn down the place. Huh? Okay, who's two? Three? Four? Five? Why so shy? Five. Good. Well done. Okay. No, 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 no. Five, I talk for you, okay? Now, wisdom. Five means you know what you're doing, you know the Dhamma, you love the Dhamma, you are just going to embrace it to the, to the end because you know the Dhamma. One is, see me see Dhamma. Sorry. So the first question today is sorry. What's Dhamma? Okay. So that's one. Huh? Who's one? Two? Three? Four? Five? And the ones who didn't raise their hand got arthritis tonight. <laughs> because obviously there's a gap here. Now, why? Why did I come up with a topic that says faith and wisdom are two sides of the same coin? Clearly, I'm the only one who can answer that question, which I plan to at the end of the class. If it is still not obvious to you by then, why? I will answer it. The other more interesting question is, do you agree? Right at the start point, before I go into the lecture proper, looking at this title, do you agree with the observation? How many of you say yes? How many say no? How many say I don't know? You must at least raise your hand here. <laughs> and the rest of you, what? Don't understand English. <laughs> okay. Now, <laughs> okay. 
Now you will find my you find you find me using the word sadda and faith interchangeably. When I'm 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 of the mood to use Pali, I will use sadda lah. But they are the same. The idea here, sadda is to have faith, to have confidence. Confidence in what? Confidence in the Buddha as a teacher who knew what he was teaching, who had, who had uh, attained enlightenment, Samasambuddha, he had attained enlightenment. He was a great teacher and he was able to teach anything and anyone who had an interest in knowing the Dhamma. Okay? Not just that Buddha is the statue that sits there. I have faith in him. No. It's to believe that there was such a teacher 2,500 years ago that he taught a method of realizing um, unconditioned happiness and that he himself had seen it, realized it, and that he was able to devise a method to teach others, not just teach others while he was alive, but that the method continues to be effective after he's no longer around. That's having the confidence in Buddha, the faith in the Buddha. What is faith in the Dhamma? That you believe this method works. Whatever it says it's going to deliver, it can. So implicit in that, in that is you must know something about the method. You must know something about his teaching. What he said, it, how he described the world, what you're supposed to do in order to understand that world as he saw it as it is, and then to taste the unconditioned bliss, nibbana, when you have completed your practice. Okay, that's Dhamma. Sangha are the practitioners, the students who kept his teachings alive, and they themselves are practicing for themselves and for others. All practitioners, once they begin to understand the Dhamma, they don't keep it under lock and key in DBS. They will go around and share the teaching. Those, the, the practitioners who saw the Dhamma will eventually teach the Dhamma. When they're ready, they will teach. Okay? Now, I said, as my start point, Sadda has a mixed reputation. The reason is because for the longest time, people have a certain assumption when they hear the word faith, right? They will assume that it's about bowing, about offerings, about burning joysticks, as this and that and this and that. In other words, Sadda is to be shown, performed, either to show yourself or to show others or to show Buddha, that sadda had something to do with rites and rituals. Yes? Is that part of your belief system? Don't be shy lah, hello. At some point, you must answer back. Lah. <laughs> Otherwise, I will invite you to offer your thoughts. 
Sadda for some people that believe is Believe can already. Yes? Right? How many of you say, yeah, I've heard of it like that? Not that you believe, uh, that you have heard of it being like this. And because you've heard of it being like this, when you hear the word have faith, have faith, how do you react? Huh? Just believe. Uh. Yes? It is because of that that it has a reputation, an odd reputation. But the reality is, Sadda, as the Buddha explained it, is very different, which I will show you subsequently. Okay? So Sadda has a mixed reputation, but Panya uh, has a more revered standing, yes? Meaning to say, you hear the word Panya and you think of light bulbs coming out here. Rays of light. How many of you, therefore, feel very happy in saying that I have Sadda, my Panya is lacking? Or yours is the other way around? I have Panya, my Sadda is lacking. Huh? Hello? I have, pan I have Sadda, my Panya is lacking. Or I have both. Both are sweet. Who says sweet? Sad lah, this class. <laughs> so sad. Seriously. You must, it's 7.30 at night, you have no reason to be sleepy. If this was 7.30 in the morning, they can say, oh, I'm tired. Okay, uh, I really got to press the right button. And that they will not meet. Okay, uh, I've explained it. I have not explained Panya. What is Sadda? I've explained, right? The belief, the, the, the confidence in the Buddha being the teacher who has realized Nibbana and was very effective in, in teaching that. Dhamma, I've explained it as a method of realizing Nibbana. Unconditioned bliss. And Sangha are the practitioners who practice, who teach the Dhamma and who show by their practice that the Dhamma is possible, to realize the Dhamma is possible. Okay? But what is Panya? What is this wisdom? Any idea? Make a guess. What is Panya? Especially the one who are students of Mangala. So many graduates I see. Uh, what's Panya? Is it about realization? The Buddha's definition of the word Panya, okay, we just go for the Buddha's definition of the word Panya, is seeing arising and falling away. Seeing arising and cessation. Meaning that you have practiced to a certain extent that you begin to understand impermanence. Does that mean, therefore, that if I have not seen rising and falling, I have no panya? 
No, that one is the higher end of the spectrum. I'm going to show you that even as you are going on this journey, it is possible to have uh, what we call mundane panya that keeps you anchored on this journey. Okay? How do you develop, how do we develop Sadda and Panya? Sadda is developed actually by, um, let, let me show you the subsequent slide. Huh? Faith. Let me just show you how Sadda is developed. According to the Buddha, this is, this is according to the canon, this is what he said. That you come, meaning you make an effort to go to a class like this, to go to a teacher, and you sit. Meaning you don't go, pray, go home. Pay respect, go home. You go to a class, you sit. And then you pay attention. Note that he actually separated into two parts. Give your attention and then you pick up what he is saying. If you do not open your mind, sit, open your mind and pay attention, you hear nothing. You are there in form, you're not there in mind. Okay? After you have heard the teaching, you try and remember, and then you begin to reflect on what was taught and compare it to your own experience. Wait, let me just go through this and explain again. Huh? To go and sit is a choice. To pay heed and listen is a choice. To hear has wisdom. To reflect and compare has wisdom. I'll show you. Then if you spend time reflecting, there will come a period when it began to make sense to you. Whatever that, the, that was taught, talk about or taught will begin to make sense to you. And because it makes sense to you, you have what I call the mini Eureka moment. It has to be mini because if it were major, you enter stream. So for most of us, it's mini first, okay? And then you decide to practice. What is wisdom? Okay. That you choose to go and listen to that particular Dhamma. You see, for many of us, especially in this time and age, you're confronted with a wide spectrum of teachings a whole range of teachers, all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of religion. You're free to explore. For you to choose to come to this one, we will go check this one out. For you to make that choice, that in itself actually tells you or tells us that you already have that mundane wisdom. If you had zero wisdom, there is no way you will choose to come here. You understand? If this were not your first visit, okay lah, we are going on to the next one. But if this were your first one, the first time you check this out, 
and you come for this particular one. Not, not me, meaning Dhamma. You go for the Dhamma, that in itself actually tells you you already have some wisdom. For you to decide to open your mind and listen is actually a suggestion that you're broad-minded. You can call this being your tradition and then you say, okay, let's check out my handphone, check out things. I'm just here, spend some time because it's good karma. And then you go home. Some of you, right, don't say never. But never mind, at the end of it, you're very convinced. Okay, the fact that you pay attention is being open-minded, okay? To hear. The word hear is interesting. Hear means registering the information. Hear doesn't mean sound waves, sound vibration hitting the ear. It actually, it actually means I heard you, I registered what was said, I get some of it, I'm remembering something. Okay? If you find yourself going off and don't, remembering, don't remember anything, you, already, you have stopped at being open-minded. You understand that? If you go off from tonight and all you remember is joke in the beginning, joke at the end, in between, got Dhamma talk. You didn't hear. You were only being open-minded. Okay? After you have heard, the question then is, do you know which part to reflect on? Or were you open ear but not, not quite registering the material? Of course, you can help with modern technology. But were you just there, hear something, then when it's time to think about how it applies to your life, nothing comes out. If that were the case, again, you got stuck. But if you heard, you collected, and then when you go home and you, re you use the correct relevant material to reflect and apply, then there is wisdom. It is wisdom to know what to focus your attention on and which part to apply in your reflection. You understand? Yes? No? I've got to repeat the whole thing again. Do you understand? Yes. Meaning, you choose to come, there's mundane wisdom. You choose to pay attention, it is a, it's a wisdom of sort. If you choose to to pay attention and then your wisdom got a while at home because at home you don't have the Dhamma talk but what do you have? you have two things you have memory memory and you have picking from the range of things that you remember apply and that one is entirely your own wisdom okay and if you apply the correct ones, meaning you pick up the correct thing and you see it in your daily life and you're reflecting correctly, wisdom is getting stirred up, okay? And this mini Eureka moment, what does it mean? It means that in your daily life, Dhamma begins to make sense for you. 
Little by little, it makes sense. And which part of the Dhamma should make sense? Dukkha, dukkha craving, uh, suffering, unsatisfactoriness, and craving. The correlation between dukkha and craving. This is the most obvious part. Because all of us have our experience of dukkha. And the reason why we have all these dukkha experiences is because of our craving. And if you go home and this doesn't hit you between the eyes, you need your eyes check out. Isn't it? Because this is so obvious. You go out, the weather, let's say tonight, you walk out, it starts raining. And you didn't bring umbrella. Dukkha ready for sure. You will start fretting around. Yes? No, I'm going to float through the rain. Who say I'm going to float through the rain? No, you're sure the dukkha will arise. It stares at you between the eyes. Okay? So your mini eureka moment means what you heard, when you apply, it begins to make sense. And for that to happen, there has to be wisdom. It means you're understanding correctly. For sure, there's some wisdom. And then you make the decision to practice the path, the Eightfold Path. To make that decision requires a lot of wisdom. Why? Because the path is very tough. It is not an easy path. The path tells you every time you get angry, you Every time you get angry, what's your instinct? Lash out. Isn't it? Who say, every time I get angry, I luna? <laughs> and I will ask you, when did you start looning? And you will say, oh, after I learned Dhamma. See what I'm saying? You will only start to practice when you realize that Buddha's teaching makes sense. And which part of the teaching makes sense? Usually it depends, I mean really it depends on the individual. But typically, typically it doesn't mean that you, you, for you it's necessarily like that, but typically it has to do with that dukkha. Because the dukkha is always the most obvious. And it has to do with the craving because you have to buy the teaching that having craving is what gives you dukkha. If you can moderate your craving, the dukkha diminishes. You see this correlation that's the critical, the crux of the teaching at the start point. Mind you, uh, this is a start point. Uh. This is not the end point. This is a start point. You don't see this correlation, there is absolutely no incentive for you to practice. Practice what? I want to eat, I eat what must loon also. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Okay. So, faith grows with knowledge and wisdom. What does that mean? As you see the correlation of his teaching to your life, as you see that what he taught is relevant to how you experience life, that's where you say, Buddha? What's the Hokkien word? Zun. 
Correct, Buddha's correct. He made a lot of sense. He said, he said that if you have a lot of craving, you will experience a lot of dukkha. Correct, correct. That's his tun for sure. It's the next part. If I can moderate my craving, my dukkha will diminish. That's more important. And the most important is how. How do you moderate your craving? Get it? It is not about dukkha. Buddha didn't teach dukkha. Teach dukkha no need. You can teach also. Hello, talking about pain, suffering, any one of us can teach. Buddha was teaching you how to overcome dukkha by overcoming craving because that's where the found it, the problem is. And that's, that's the difficult part. Why? Because that is about our habits, our instincts, our instincts. In fact, it is right down, deep down into your DNA. I have always said, we have been programmed to survive. In order to survive, you have to have craving. Otherwise, don't eat, no? Just lie down there, don't eat. Oh. But you have to eat, no? So you have to eat, there will be some degree of craving, okay? Stages of development, okay? Now, for most of us, actually, at the end of this talk, I'm going to raise another question, and this time around, your hand doesn't come out, I'm going to come to you. And if I have to take the whole night to walk to the end, I will. And you all just sit with me, okay? Early stage, what does that mean? For those who are very new on this path, I start with the faith side. I'm sorry, I start with the oh, wisdom side. I forgot how I start. For those who are very new, new to this path, Oh, there's a reason why I have it flipped. Earlier on, it was faith and wisdom, right? Now I flipped it. You must watch that flipping. Huh? There is a reason for that. You recall the last time I said, in that last slide, it ended with Buddha Tuna. Then you start to practice, yes? Which means to say, at the point when you started, you already have what we call the intuitive understanding that the Buddha was right, Buddha was right, and knowing what's good and wanting to comply. What does that mean? In Buddha's teaching, if you recall, for early practitioners, I mean for, for general nominal Buddhists, minimally you must remember he talks about five precepts. Do good, do no evil, purify the mind. That's the teaching of all Buddha, yes? Okay. So right at the start point, when you say Buddha was correct, he knew what he was teaching, I'm going to embrace the Dhamma. At that point, if, if you truly believe Buddha was right, at that point you will check out his teaching. The, 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 what should I do as a Buddhist part? What should I do to be practicing correctly? And this would be the sort of things that you will pick up, okay? At the point, the faith is young. So what happened is you'll always be asking questions, mostly what and why and why not. So what am I supposed to do? 
what should I be doing? How should I pay respect? How should I pray? You, you understand? So the kind of things at this early stage of your career as a Buddhist would be checking out the basic teaching. Four noble truth, eight four part, eight liao. Five precepts, I know. Sometimes I do eight precepts. On full moon, new moon day, you will say. Yes? Well, you don't even do that. Ah. <laughs> and then some of you get really creative. You're supposed to come and bow three times and you must do it like this. These are the sort of things that people do, yes? Maybe not this crowd because you're not here. You're the next one, okay? So you will be focusing on morality, precepts, do's and don'ts, and the religious observances. This is because you're young, you're new. When I say do's and don'ts, huh, the don'ts are your precepts. What are the do's? You went through this stage, remember? What are the do's? Don'ts are the precepts. Don't take life. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't commit sexual misconduct. Don't take substances, intoxicants that lead to mindlessness. Okay, those are the don'ts. But what are the do's? You only don't do these things. Uh. What do you do? Dana, sila, what else? Bhavana, God do bhavana or not? No lah, fumun yumuni lah, okay. What else? Respecting those worthy of respect, doing service for those in need, actually it's worthy of service, but just doing service, transferring merits, rejoicing when others are transferring merits, going to learn the Dhamma, listen to Dhamma, sharing the Dhamma, and what's the tenth one? Straightening, straightening the views, correct. Straightening the views means every time you're not sure, you raise your hand. <laughs> but these days, you can write and pass your question forward, okay? So, while you are relatively new, and it is common, when you're relatively new, you usually ask this question, what am I supposed to do as a Buddhist? What am I supposed to do? And you will be told, oh, you go for refuge, you take the precepts, you chant all these, you do all these chantings, you make these offerings. When you go before the Bante, bow. <laughs> that sort of things. Yes? Hello? Yes. No? It is usually like this. Okay. See that? All covered. Triple gem, three refuse, five precepts, chanting, blessings. Huh? Blessings. You all go for blessings? No need shy one. This is normal. Yes? Yeah. Sometimes ask Bante, hey, do a bit more. <laughs> okay? Bowing, etc. Okay. Stage two. This stage, I call it Intermediate. Sorry, in the previous stage, you saw the correlation. Huh? You're, you're young in your faith, this is all you understand, this is what you're doing. Okay? 
intermediate. At the intermediate stage, you will decide that you really must know more about the Buddha's teaching. It cannot be just bowing, three steps, do good, do no evil. What about that part that says purify the mind, must be karma? It cannot be just like that you say. So this is when you begin to wonder, in essence, what did the Buddha teach? Yes? And you want to know a little bit more about not just his teaching, but if you were a student of the Buddha, what should you be doing? Not just bowing and all. There must be something more. Okay? So, at that point, your faith is growing. You will go sign up for Mangala. <laughs> YMBA first. YMBA first. Or, or, Hey, YMBA too easy. Let's just go for Buddhist Pali College. And then for some others, they will say, no, la, there are other schools offering this. We just check them out. So Buddhist Library or Pokasi, I don't know where else, but just check them out. Then some of you will say, I don't have so much time to go for structured courses. Can I just attend talks regularly? You attend talk huh, on your birthday only. It doesn't count. <laughs> Okay? Good mood, go. Not good mood, don't go. Doesn't count. So if you want to attend talks, you first got to know what kind of talks. Cannot just choose the one you want, but, you know, have some kind of a structured list, right? a range of things. Or some of you, and I know that, and some of you are even more clever. Structured causes, too difficult, no time. Regular, this periodic talks here and there, not good enough, not him. So what do you do? Get someone to do private tuition for us. <laughs> also have, in all kinds. But never mind, never mind. The point is, at this point of your development is when there is the thirst for the Dhamma. Okay, that's one way. Another way is, you will be checking up online. How many of you have been doing that? Checking online? Ah, yeah. Then what do the rest of you do? <laughs> you are the sporadic, periodic ones. Uh. Go, go, go attend lectures type. So you check out online, buy books. Uh, some, of, some of you will be buying books. Some of you hoard books. <laughs> you do realize hoarding and buying does not mean reading and registering. Uh. So if you were to hoard books, you must remember, your ambition is not going to be a Buddhist librarian. <laughs> you want to have Dhamma knowledge, not Dhamma books. Okay? And, and there's the early stage and the later stage. So in this intermediate stage, in this intermediate stage, in your quest for Dhamma knowledge, you will begin to ask questions about the following. The Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. Some of you, a bit more exposed, will start asking about Tilakana, the three, uh, the three characteristics. Do I... What's, what are the three characteristics? Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta. Yeah, this one passed this stage already. 
And then you have five aggregates, six sense bases, comma, conditionality, nibbana. All very conceptual. All very conceptual. Reading a lot, trying to remember, trying to understand, but it's all cerebral. How many of you stopped here? It's okay, you're brave and you're honest. So they're too shy. Or, not well, this hand cannot go up. Okay. Note this thing, huh? still wisdom and faith. Okay. I call it the penultimate state, stage. For most people, at some point, if they start searching for the Dhamma conceptually, at some point, they may run into someone who will get them thinking a little harder about the Dhamma. Okay? And it, it's only when they hit that point that they say, I think I don't want to just end on a conceptual note. I want to know a little bit more. In this stage, this penultimate stage, it is because of faith that you will follow the Buddha's teaching to the letter as is no questions asked. Let me explain this part a little bit more. You see, up under the part when you were understanding Dhamma conceptually, it is all brain power. So it is about wisdom. It is not so much about faith. But at the point, at that point, that stage, you may be doing a switchover. The switchover is, as I said, you ran into someone or you read something. There has to be, the odds are it's an external trigger. Odds are, for some of us, it's an internal trigger. It has to be a trigger that tells you, I want to know more. And when you say, I want to know more, and you start exploring at a deeper level, one day you may begin to see that the Dhamma, there's so much more than just Four Noble Truth, Eightfold Path understood superficially. It's when you begin to realize that there is something more beyond your superficial conceptual understanding, that it actually does something, that knowledge actually does something to your daily experiences. It's usually at that stage you start digging deeper. And as I said, the trigger can be internal or external. Internal means you are overwhelmed by dukkha. You think that being a Buddhist and begging Buddha for help is going to resolve all your worries. But you realize that no eh, worries still there. Eh. Something growing. Eh. Why? Eh? And then, and then maybe out of some degree of desperation, you go and try out meditation. Usually that's what happens. People get very depressed and go try meditation. Then sometimes they get more depressed. Because in the meditation, they don't get it, they don't get it. Oh, so painful. Wow, double whammy. Yeah? Or sometimes, they get it, they get it, they think that's Nibbana. That one very sad. Also have lah. But the point is, that's your internal driver. The internal one is usually the dukkha that feels 
a bit too much. Okay? Then there is the external trigger, which is you are not beginning to ask questions, right? You know all these concepts, but somehow you don't feel satisfied. And then you run into somebody, a teacher, a monk, a book, your online, your online searches, and then that trigger comes. It's an external trigger. If you look at the experience of all the monks in the Buddha's time, many had external triggers. Some has, have internal triggers. You, you know the story, right? Sariputta himself, Mokalana, they, well, Sariputta ran into Asaji. This is the way to go. Yasa was driven crazy by his dukkha, ran into the Buddha, he was okay. So there will always be some kind of a trigger that leads you to take the untrodden path. Okay? And at that point, the question then is, were you given the correct Dhamma? Were you fortunate enough to come into encounter with the correct Buddha's Dhamma? Because if you were, because now it's about practice. If you were and you practice, you will experience, you will, you will experience joy and relief. It may well be temporary, but you will experience joy and relief. When you experience joy and relief, having heard the true Dhamma, this is what will happen. Your faith will surge. It's a, it's a surging of faith. And in the surging of faith, you go, Buddha say what I do what? Okay, very singlish. But that's the idea. Exactly as the Buddha prescribed the steps, you will do it. You wouldn't be saying, really, uh, discount or not? I'm working there. You won't be having so much negotiation with yourself and Buddha not there to negotiate with you. You see, you, hear, you, you understand what I'm saying? This is the power of the faith, but you can only arrive at this stage if the wisdom, your wisdom, had taken you here. If you didn't have wisdom strong enough, you wouldn't reach this point. If you had much wisdom, you, you won't stop here. You will, it will take you here and it will take you on. Do you understand? Is it clear? Okay. So, because of your faith, now this is what will happen. In this path, on this journey, one of the, the first thing, the first thing that you have to do is to develop mental factors, mental conditions necessary to grow that wisdom. A normal average mind, especially now, it's an average mind that is also depressed. Because if you commit odds, you have some depression going on, some anxiety going on, okay? A normal average mind cannot, cannot see the Buddha's Dhamma as he taught. 
Don't bluff yourself. It can't be done. You have to develop five mental states. If you don't have this core five mental states, you can study and get straight A's until you hit PhD and you still don't see the number. Very good at quoting Pali. You're very good at dredging out commentaries and sub-commentaries. And guess what? You created your own commentaries. <laughs> but still, you know in your stomach, because that's all you have, the stomach, that that's not quite dhamma. Or at least that's not the dhamma, because I'm not seeing Nibbana, what is still deep. Nibbana is a concept that floats in the dictionary of your mind. So, if you are truly committed to the dhamma, to understanding the Buddha's dhamma, then you will start to develop five mental states as prescribed by the Buddha. What are they? Number one, sadda. Back to this word, sadda, confidence. Number two, virya. He didn't say sila. You are a practitioner of the first order. You not sila only. Sila by now should be just second nature to you. Now it's virya. What is this virya? What is virya? Mangala student? Energy. Just energy? Effort. Effort for what? Effort to keep the mind space clean and pure. So any, any akusala, unwholesome, unbeneficial thoughts, perish them, get rid of them. Any akusala, unwholesome thoughts that happen arise, make sure they don't come up. Any kusala, beneficial, wholesome thoughts which are there, proliferate them. And if they were not there, develop them, bring them up. These are not just a lot of words. This is a lot of effort in daily life. Meaning to say, if you are, if you are serious about practicing, meaning to say, on an average day, you try not to have dosa, anger. If anger arises, what you do? Make it a squatter in your house. No. Push the anger out. And what do you bring up in its place? What's anger, best friend? Metta. The energy of friendliness, kindliness. Okay? And if it were not there, bring it up. If it were there, Keep it there. So these are little, little things. This is not just, just, just anger. Give you another one. Not anger because you practitioner, not angry one. But sometimes impatient. Sometimes impatient. So what must you do? You basically tell your own mental energy of impatience. Pipe down. Stop it. You actually tell yourself. Not someone telling you. You tell yourself. This is virya because it takes a lot of effort to try and keep that garbage, our garbage here, clean. It's not easy, especially in daily life. Okay? 
sati, mindfulness. Uh, at, at the minimum, minimally, mindfulness is about trying to bring attention to the moment, bringing your attention to, to, this, to the now, to this moment. Be aware of this moment, minimally. But if you are developing this as a skill, then it is not just bringing it to the now, but you have to include something called clear comprehension. Meaning, when you bring the mind to the moment, at that moment, you are also mindful of the Dhamma. There's a whole other series of things. Samadhi is to do concentration meditation. You will say, you may say, yeah, but no need leh. Okay, lo? Buddha say mas lah, you say no need. Buddha say five, he never say four. Who are we to question the Buddha? But whatever, I'm just going to put it on the table as he, he prescribed it. Typically, in the, in the, in the Pali Canon, you will see that when he talks about Samadhi, he talks about the jhana. Minimally, but jhana very difficult, right? Minima, minimally, to be able to bring the mind to a concentrated point, an object of meditation, bring it to a, a point and keep it there. Keep it on the point. Keep it on your object. If your object is breathing, keep it on the breathing. If your object is, I don't know, body parts, 32 parts, don't 32 parts and put in McDonald's. <laughs> Just keep it on the 32 parts, okay? And so on and so forth. And Panya, Panya is developed through constant mindful of arising and falling away. But that's a lesson for a different day. I know you're distracted. Do you want to do something about the... What is... Oh, okay. Make do. You're okay, yeah? Okay. Buddha said, you should try and meditate. So if you were, remember what I said about if, if your faith is absolute, if your faith in the Buddha's Dhamma is absolute, you will not, on your own accord, suka-suka do negotiation, and meditation do once a, a month. I will just devote one day and not go out do meditation whole day. Doesn't work like that. You spend the whole day telling your mind, stop it, sit, stop it, sleep. <laughs> you spend a whole day chasing after the mind that has decided to go on vacation. <laughs> You're not going anywhere, I'm going to go on vacation. And this is what will happen. If you are if your faith is very strong and you're now gunning for the understanding of the Dhamma, you will spend time to do a bit of meditation. Okay? That's why I said doing it religiously. And you will try to observe mindfulness in daily life. Now, I'm talking about someone who is convinced that the Buddha's Dhamma is it. 
I'm going to practice as he prescribed and to see the Dhamma as he said it would be. Then it has to be done like this. It is not a part-time thing. Part-time meaning uh, during exam I try, after exam I stop. Or worse, maybe full moon, new moon only la, and that's it. Cannot eat preset and that's it. If you're going for, for the penultimate stage, it is daily. Okay? And at some point in the practice, the wisdom that grows as a result of the practice is truly, you will get a glimpse of the, of the reality of the mind, the mind as it is. I call it, for you, if it begins to make, if, if you are practicing this way, as the Buddha prescribed, Dhamma comes alive for you. They are not, Dhamma is no longer just words on paper. It becomes an experience in daily life. What does that mean? It means you begin to first understand what your mind is and how the mind works. And because you begin to understand the mechanics of the mind, the mechanics of the mind, as the understanding of the mechanics of the mind grow, you are better able to tame the habits and the instincts of the mind. You understand? Dhamma is not just remembering words. Dhamma really is a realization that those words are real. They are describing conditions which are real in the mind. And as these words become understanding, because origins are words, but then when they become understanding, you begin to live that understanding. I will give you just one small example. You hear again and again, Anicca, Anicca, yes? How many of you never heard of the word Anicca? Ask the right question, get the correct answer. How many of you, how many of you know, have seen Anicca? And you know what it means by Anicca? Okay. Meaning to say, for you who have seen, Anicca is no longer just a word. But the reality is, they don't get it. I mean, they, they are not the only one who bought Anicca. Anicca comes with you. It comes with your breathing. As you breathe in, that's Anicca. You can't stop breath, me air, and home. You can, but if you faint, I'll get someone to help you. You know what I'm saying? Your breathing, it's an anicca. It's a process. And in this process, there is no break permanently. For the form to exist, that breathing process must continue. Just by looking at that breath, that entire length of it, just by looking at one length of breath, you already see moments of anicca. 
You see that in meditation, you see that in daily life, the impression, the impression of anicca must sink in. And in this practice, these moments, these moments of anicca must keep sinking in again and again and again and again and again until it becomes second nature for your mind. Remember, we said your mind has all kinds of strange habits. It has to internalize new Dhamma habits. New Dhamma habits. Because it is only when the brain starts internalizing these new Dhamma habits can you begin to see the Dhamma come alive. So as you go through your life, as you walk along the road, as you cook your food or chop your dishes, you will be, this is impermanent, impermanent, impermanent. And then some of you will say, wow, very boring man. Boring means you haven't quite seen it. Because if you see it, the, the experience of Anicca is most accelerating. It's a beautiful experience. Why? Because it doesn't matter if you are hurt. It doesn't matter if your ego is hurt. It will pass. It doesn't matter if you are in grief or in pain, it will pass. It doesn't matter if you are restless or you are upset, it will pass. When you internalize anicca, that's one of the things that will happen. Anything bad will pass, but then good also pass. Anything good will pass. And what does that mean? If you really internalize good anicca, bad, Anicca, what does that mean? It's me, it's me. What? Exactly! You will internalize that this is no more than a process. A process means another. Okay? If you really internalize it as a process, you will begin to experience that you are no more than a hybrid of mind and body processes going on. But the most beautiful part is if you, your mind, if your mind starts to internalize anicca, if your mind starts to internalize anicca, the sense of dukkha first will increase, then will decrease. Let me explain why first will increase because you realize that whatever you want to hold on to, you can't. Whatever you consider precious and therefore worth putting all your money on it, like my BMW. But you know you can't because nothing is permanent. Everything is anicca. The first realization of that, I mean, realize that anicca is very much the mind. Whatever is your experience, it's going to be anicca. The very first experience, you may get, ha, ah, very nice, oh, very sad. It, it can be like this. And it will be like this until you realize that, what is there to hold on to? Because if you see anicca, you see dukkha, at some point you will realize that there is nothing worth holding on to. What are you holding on to? Breath, 
air, put it in a bottle, keep it in a corner. In terms of in times of emergency, break open. What you want? So when the mind goes through this, this is not an easy process, and this is not one night. You go home tonight, Anicca, Anicca, and then wake up, Anicca. If only it is like this, but most time it is not like this. Most time you do get that glimpse. One nature experience, one nature. It has to keep going at your mind. Your mind has to keep experiencing it until one fine day the mind just accepts it. This is indeed true. And when the mind starts accepting it, things will start to change. Okay? Ah, things will start to change. You see, ah. Uh, Next time, I'm going to have a stack of notes here so I don't have a surprise that's coming up next. Let me explain changes the way the mind talks and thinks. Imagine in your mind, okay? Let's just say that, let's just say that you begin to accept that things will change. You tell me, if you begin to realize that, not just know it conceptually, you begin to embrace that. Would, would that change the way you think about what is important? You think about it. I can't speak for you. But the odds are that it will change the way you prioritize things. It will change the way you see the world. If you begin to, in your mind, instinctively, it's Anicca, it's Anicca, instinctively, it will change the way you talk. You will say things like, I really want it, but if I don't get it, so be it. This is the way that the mind talks about things. I'm getting angry, but ah, never mind, lah, never mind. Lah. It's okay. Lah. We will change anyway. You may fret around your kid, run around, run around, run around, plan the PSLE like it is going to determine his entire future, including looking for the bride. Everything, okay? But if you begin to experience Anicca, not just superficially experience, huh? for most of us, until the point we start changing, it's superficial, but it's really internalized then you may begin to say some things are not important some things remain important i will just focus on those so your sense of priorities will change the way you pursue your your priorities your 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 bucket list will change the way you chase after them will change the way you explain your decisions will change once upon a time this is very important now it's okay la. temporary only ma. and so on and so forth a lot of things will start to change if you say i'm a practitioner i really understand the dhamma but i haven't really changed that i think uh, the first part uh, needs to check again uh. the part about i really understand the dhamma and or 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 you were already Dhamma, in the Dhamma. Then in which case, you were born like that, you're fine. All the way to the end, okay? Transform life's priorities. 
as the faith grow and the wisdom grow, you change as a person, your priorities will change. And you begin to appreciate balance, moderation, letting go. This is only part of the way. It's not even the end, okay? Final stage, part one. This, 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 this is like, uh, what's, that what's that show? Um, Hungry Game, you know, you must drag it, part one. Hungry Game, right? Hunger Game, <laughs> oh well. <laughs> part one of this practice, what starts to happen? Seeing a rising and fading away as is. What is this? This is really about the mental states and if you're really kila in your meditation, very kila in the meditation, in your physical form. You're not so kila, you only register the pain, no pain, pain, no pain. Okay? But if you really kila, you see a bit more. But you're actually seeing steps. The mind going through, going through a series of arising. I see the, the, you actually experience contact, arising of feeling, arising perception, arising of thought, arising of craving, arising and seizing, arising and seizing, arising and seizing of each part. Contact, feeling, cr thought, craving, and so on and so forth. Parts by part. You begin to see the mind as no more than a series of successive conditioned parts. You begin to see Anicca in all conditioned things. What does it mean? You are conditioned thing. People around you are conditioned things. Events are conditioned things. Expectations are conditioned. Everything you can think of, they are conditioned. Everything. Except one. Nibbana. Begin to realize the delusion of the self, meaning to say, where once upon a time, when we experience any event or we come across anything, the instinct, these are all instinct, deep down instinct, is to believe and construct, believe and construct, which happens almost simultaneously. Uh, essence, an essence, a self, a soul, something intrinsic to hold all the emotions, mental experiences, including your physical forms, everything that constructed self carries it. I was explaining to another class yesterday, part of the reason why we have this delusion of self is because of the workings of memories. The workings of memories and the capacity of the mind to project. When you have the sense of a time continuum, when you have the sense of time, I exist in the past. And since I'm planning for tomorrow, something exists tomorrow. I call it I. And if I exist in the past, and I exist tomorrow, I exist. Simple, no? 
But the mind is not so complex. It doesn't think like it doesn't construct thinking. It was sorry. It doesn't think in this structured way. It just it moves so fast. You travel from the past to the future to the past to the future. Now, oh, the past, the future. You keep doing that, and every time you go to the past, it has to do with you like or you don't like. Who remember yesterday brush teeth? Unless your teeth got a problem. <laughs> no, seriously. When you cons, when you remember the past, or think about the future. Usually, it has to do with likes, don't like, pleasant, unpleasant, rarely neutral. Who spend their time planning neutral? You plan also must plan with style, you know, put a bit of flowers, holly, you know, and so on and so forth. So even in your time construct, it has to do with. Likes, dislike, want, don't want, being, not being, so on and so forth. This dichotomy. Oh, done. Time mean, is you. That's us. That's the way we think. And because of free will, right? Free will. I want to go and think about the past. I will think about the past. If I want to think about the future, I think about the future. Free will, thinking away. I exist at all time. If you were to strip the memory, okay, strip the memory, and all you have is now. If you lose your memory, and all you remember is now, what do you think will happen? Most will say fear. Why? Because the identity is missing. Exactly. Exactly. We create an identity. And because of your memory, that identity has an existence. You see that? You take away the memory, and the identity disappears. So, my name, all deluded. Because if it were real, you strip the memory, and what do you have? Enlightenment. <laughs> because essence, ma. If you have an essence, you strip the memory, you have enlightenment. Alamak. <laughs> yeah, it is indeed. You learn. You learn to let go. Letting go is learned. The mind understands. The mind sees benefits. The mind accepts that it has to let go. The mind will try to let go. The mind has let go. Why do you think in the Buddha's Four Noble Truths he has it in this many parts? Something dukkha must be there is dukkha, dukkha to be known, dukkha has been understood. There are parts. So in the same way, in this whole thing about letting go, first you got to see benefit, you got to realize why it has to be done. Then you accept. Once you accept it has to be done, you try to do it. And if you try to do it as the Buddha taught, you will get it. You will get it. And then this letting go comes easily, not with constipation, which is for most people who don't practice the Dhamma, who don't understand it very well, but they think 
Letting go means like that lah. Then, wah, here let go, there think. Think. So you go home and still carry whatever you have let go along. That's not letting go. That's holding on. Okay? But once you begin to understand, you learn to let go properly. But it's, you know the word here is learn. So that's why final stage part one. Part two means let go. And when you can do all this, you will begin to experience a reduction of dukkha. Okay? Until, until your mind is convinced that it is the wise thing to do is moderation. But why would the mind be convinced that moderation is good? The mind must see the correlation between craving, wanting, and dissatisfaction, unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, suffering, whatever you call it. The mind must see that correlation. And when the mind sees the correlation, then the mind says, like that, ah, I then must do something, right? How am I supposed to let go? I don't even know how. Ah, the practice. This is about how. So, the practice actually have a few parts. This practice, this path has a few parts. Part one of, the, part one of this path is understand conceptually first. You must know what he taught. Understand what is the goal of this practice. To realize happiness. To no longer experience dukkha. Then, Understand that it has to do with habits, your mental habits. So these are all understanding. Then part two is recognizing all the evidence, all the proofs that his teaching was correct. You don't see the proof that he is right. What is your incentive to let go? You have to see that proof. So once you begin to see the proof, then you say, okay, now I need to do something to moderate the wanting, the craving. And that comes the hard part. Many people think that seeing Anicca Dukkha Anatta is the hard part. It's hard, but it's not the hard part. If it were the hard part, you don't need Anagami to get it done. You see what I'm saying? The Sotapana can see Anicca Dukkha Anatta. That is why the fetter of the self, the self-delusion, the, illu the illusion of a self, that drops. So seeing, recognizing anicca, dukkha, anatta is actually not, not the hard part. It's hard. It is hard, but it's not the hardest part. Then you have to put in the effort to go and trim your craving in a big way. So when you understand, you see, you understand, craving dims, but it's not gone. You still chase after your sense basis, sense delight. Not chase, lah. you slowly walk after the sense basis and sense delight. But you still do that. And for, for that to be gone completely requires another set, set of teachings, set of training. Learning, training, seeing, you keep doing that. Okay? 
<clears throat> By this stage, faith, I, I, I use the word explode. I wanted to find the bomb that goes boom, but don't have. <laughs> I, I uh, technically not so kilat. So all I have is literally. <laughs> the, your mind explodes with joy and delight and gratitude. Okay? The fetter of Wichikicha is eradicated. When, remember we, start, we started off saying faith was important to get you started. Faith happens only when there is knowledge and so on, right? Now it is the Dhamma that comes alive for you. If your faith didn't explode, I don't know when it will. Okay? And for you to understand Anicca Dukkha Anatta, to see the workings of the Four Noble Truth, to see conditionality, for you to see all these things and you still doubt the Dhamma, cannot be. Cannot be. Once you begin to see all this, that doubt will drop as a factor, meaning something that shackles the mind. Meaning, you keep asking yourself, how is it done? Uh? What, is this, what is this supposed to, what am I supposed to do? Uh? Is it supposed to be like that? Uh? Maybe I can't do it. Leh. I'm not very bright. Leh. You keep doing that, it won't happen. Once you see it, it won't happen. Okay? Joy suffuses the mind, gratitude abound. Because of the joy and the gratitude and, and, and the experience, there will be further consolidation of practice. So the, the reason why I call this part one is because right up until this point, you only see the Dhamma, what the Buddha said about your mind and how it works, you see it as he described it. But you haven't let go of that, that, that uh, uh, chasing after sensual delights. Not completely, la, something but not completely, okay? <clears throat> okay. So, is it now obvious to you that because of wisdom, faith develops, and because of faith, wisdom matures? They're not the same, huh? It's because that there, were, there was some mundane wisdom that you could choose to come to this teaching, could see the relevance of the teaching in your daily life, and that your teaching makes the teaching makes sense, and that you want to practice because I kind of like the teaching. It, it does make sense. Uh, yala yala, quite depressing la, But let's try. Let's try. This is just simple talk at the initial stages, but it's enough to get you started because of wisdom, mundane wisdom that got you started. But when you see the Dhamma in parts, you don't even have to start with Hongonibana show you. Don't have. You start with the parts. Anicca, dukkha, anatta. You learn all these little little words. All this when these meaning these words are no longer just words, but meaning that exists in daily life, in your daily life, in your mind. When these words become real to you, your faith will blossom. When that faith blossom, all you want is to go after the teaching as the Buddha taught. He say, if you read, and the Buddha say, 
see repulsiveness of body, you will start thinking, oh, body very repulsive, body very repulsive. Everything, what he say you do. If he say you don't do, then your face is what? Ah? For what purpose? Faith is so that I can call myself Buddhist. Cannot be, right? It must be more. Okay. So, two sides of the same coin. <laughs> That's why I didn't want my slide, my, my slide maker to send it out. But otherwise, no impact, ma. Cheap thrill, cheap thrill. Okay, question. Any question? For those of you who want to ask questions, we apologize that tonight we don't have wireless mic for you to ask questions. So please raise your voice and you ask the question or you come uh, up here. <laughs> Another alternative is to write on a piece of paper, then you can pass to me, or you can pass to Brother Alex. Actually, surely you can shout out the question. Cannot. No, no, my best friend not here today. <laughs> Today he's not here. Next time I see him, I should say, I missed you, leh. that day he didn't come. Huh. What's his name? Lah? Oh. If he's, if he's watching, he'll be going. Can't go. One day I come to you. <laughs> Hello, oh, must la. Yes, one day. <laughs> oh, one day is a tough question. Eh? Bhante wanted to know is Vipassana Oh Bhante wanted to know if Vipassana is Panya Panya has different levels from the mundane to from the mundane which led one to check out the Dhamma to a level where you embrace the Dhamma and want to practice but that's still somewhat mundane. At the highest level, it is Vipassana. In my mind, in the, at the highest level, that Panya must be able to see with knowledge and understanding. And the two comes together. Knowledge is knowledge of Anicca Dukkha, Anatta, conditionality, noble truth, the practice, whether you talk about uh, factors of enlightenment, etc., those are just knowledge. But at the highest level, all these concepts become 
features in the mind, and the mind understands those features. When the mind understands those features, the mind is seeing, is seeing with wisdom. That's vipassana. Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, my shuttle service on the way. <laughs> Thank you. Why does this question always come up? Uh? What is this embrace? Is it embrace? Okay, I usually try not to answer um, questions where people have already formed uh, assumptions and views. But since this always pop up, I will say it. I'll say something, okay? I'll, and I'll say it this way. Maybe not answer directly, but I'll say it this way. You know, in the Buddha's time, during the Buddha's lifetime, we know that the whole series of students who had understood the Dhamma, from the Sotapanna to the Arahants, the whole series, every single one, all of them understood because they said, and listen to the Dhamma taught by the Buddha. Or, or maybe they had a conversation with the disciples who are enlightened, and from those conversations, they understood, and they see it, they understand. Those conversations, those teachings, are what we today call suttas, the Nikayas. Okay? They're all found in the Nikayas, they're the suttas. I'm very simple, uh -huh. because it can be done in this way, I'm going by this way, because it's the easier way. The suttas are there, they are easy to understand, they do not make me learn mathematics too much. All I need to know is the key features of the Dhamma, and I can understand, if I can understand, and I can understand. Modest aspiration, I'm good enough. That's good enough. I don't, I think if you are searching for the Buddha's Dhamma, minimally, you must understand what was taught in the suttas. Minimally. And if from those teachings, you can understand and begin to enjoy Enjoy the fruits of what the Dhamma, he taught, what the Buddha taught. Surely that's enough. Because if you hanker for more and you want more, that unfortunately is the way to know less and learn less. It agrees. <laughs> okay? Then, so, irrelevant. The next question. The 37 factors of enlightenment are mental tools, critical mental tools 
to help the mind to set in place the conditions for the mind to begin to understand and see Dhamma. Is, are they Dhamma? They are part of Dhamma. But they are not the end all and be all. Meaning to say, if you very killer, have certain factors of enlightenment, all 37, don't know how, but all 37 squash in your mind, you still not necessarily will see the Dhamma. In the first place, you have to know what is the Dhamma to see. What are the concepts? What are the teachings of the Buddha that the mind must see? Then after the mind had understood those concepts, and those concepts would include the following, the tilakana, anicca, dukkha, anatta. See mind matter. See, see and understand the five aggregates. These are the things. Understand conditionality. I keep saying conditionality, okay? Not just Patija Samupada, it's conditionality. Understand that. Understand all these is one part. There's another part. Understand already, can your mind now let go? That's why the Buddha said, you have to, to see things as they are, the mind then gain nibbida, viraga, and finally vimutti. If the mind doesn't see reality as is, how is the mind supposed to experience nibbida, viraga, vimutti? What is nibbida? Nibbida is a state of mind which gets very... Uh, it's translated as disenchantment. But what it means is it sees delight and it shrinks. It doesn't want delight. For the mind to look at delights, enjoyments, gratification, the world, it sees that and it, it shrinks. It doesn't want that. It sees nothing delightful in the world. But if to continue like this is also no good. At some point, it becomes viraga, where the mind becomes dispassionate, passionless towards wants and don't wants. And it's only when the mind hits that state, then the mind let go, it's free, vimuti. So, 37 factors of enlightenment, amongst those factors are the five that the Buddha pulled out, as five indriyas, five balas, whatever it is, those are the five that I pull out. Those are the mental factors that you have to cultivate and develop. Then once they have been cultivated, the mind is then steady enough, quiet enough, wise enough to understand the features of the mind as they are. And what are the features of the mind? Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta. It's just like that. So once the mind begins to see that, and the mind begins to see conditionality, so these are all concepts, right? As far as you're concerned, they are concepts. When the mind begins to understand these concepts as real, real-time features in there, then the mind says, Oh, do I still want to hold? Is craving still worth it? If it concludes, craving is still worth it. The mind is only maybe stream maximum but if the mind concludes no i don't want this then it's ready to go the rest of the way okay and only when it's ready to go the rest of the way there's a lot more to practice letting go all the craving parts must jog 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 
and that's another lecture. After you chop, and you happy, happy, chop, 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 let go, let go this, let go that. Let, to, in order to be able to do that, uh, there are quite a few things that the mind has to do. For instance, I'll just give you a few. For instance, for us to enjoy life, hmm? don't say you don't know how, ah. Uh. <laughs> for us to enjoy life, huh? what must we do? Enjoy my food. Yes? If you say no, sorry, where are you from? I feel like that. Because all bona fide Singaporeans love our food. In order to enjoy life, one of the things you must enjoy is food. Michelin best. Okay? Buddha said, see food as blossom. Foul. Blossom. Think of eating food. Nutrients in one of the lectures. Think. When you eat food, think of chewing the flesh of your son. Only son. Just for emphasis, the Buddha said, only son. Think every time you chew your food, it's like chewing on the flesh of your only son. Imagine you want to diet effectively. What should you do? Think you're eating the flesh of maybe only some very choice, something else. Lah. So, what are you doing? Transforming an eternal pleasure, because it will be eternal pleasure, to something lovesome. You can't stand it. Ugh. So, these are the sort of things you have to do in order that you will trim craving. Then, if you do it successfully enough, you will find life has no meaning. <laughs> Why do you think in the Buddha's time there were monks who they kill themselves because they can't take it? Then you must balance that. That's what the Buddha balanced. He came out from a retreat. It's true. He came out from a retreat. He discovered like dozens have gone. Then he asked another one to them. <laughs> they all want to kill themselves. Then Buddha said, oh, okay, then better teach them balance. And he taught them loving kindness, metta meditation. Because if you experience only non-delight in all the world, so in order that you don't go and kill yourself, you learn the metta is just one of them. You learn the joy the joy and the beauty of life. In purity, pure, mita is pure. All you have is this feeling of friendliness and kindliness and it's a very powerful, good feeling to balance the nisla habit so that you will continue to practice because you sila not swan, then you start again. Very problematic here. Yeah. Okay? Did I answer your question? Yeah. We have a bit of time. Any other question? You wanna? <laughs> no question. No oh, question. No part two. <laughs> okay. Any any more? That's it. Okay. Then uh, I'll see you when I see you. <laughs>